And we're back with another episode of Peter's Proffer here in the courtroom of current events. And today we're hitting uh, something that's kind of a hybrid of a listener question, but also a current event. So recently, uh, Jeffrey Epstein uh, committed suicide in prison, and we've had listener questions about what happens now. What happens to a criminal defendant that has active charges against them that is being prosecuted for a crime currently when they die, either by suicide or a car accident or they get killed by somebody else or any reason, if they die, what happens? And that process is called abatement. So we're going to dive into that today. We're going to dive in what it means, what it does, what happens next, and what the arguments for and against abatement are. So hopefully you enjoy this episode. If you have any listener questions that you want us to hear, go ahead and post it on our Facebook page at Peter's Proffer. You can find us, uh, the firm, everywhere on all social media platforms at Tragos Law, uh, where you can reach out to us that way, or you can send the questions to my email, petertragos at greeklaw.com. Okay, so let's start out, since a lot of people don't even know what the term for it is. Um, why don't you start by defining what abatement is, Dad? Well, abatement is a procedural uh, concept in the law where a case is suspended or ceased until further notice. Uh, it's not something that makes a decision about what the merits of the case are. It just says, look, something has happened, case is over, or the case stops. Okay, so it's, it's a process, basically, is it something you have to file for, or is it automatic? Well, it's a form of defense, so which means you have to actually go for it, you actually actually file. Sometimes it seems kind of silly that you have to file it, because um, sometimes it happens because of the death of someone. It seems kind of silly, you've got to file something because somebody died, but you do, you still have to file something. So are there other reasons to file for an abatement besides a party dying? Uh, yes, sometimes, for instance... You're sued in Miami, the same guy comes around and sues you in Tampa. You have the same suit for the same facts. Well, then one judge will abate, the, for instance, the Tampa case, and you'll just proceed in the Miami case. So there are other reasons for abatement. Okay, so there are other reasons for it, but today we're going to focus on what happens in a criminal case or in a civil case when the defendant dies. So we're talking about it because the Jeffrey Epstein story just came down recently that you know he was found dead in his prison cell from uh, from suicide um so we're talking about abatement because that's kind of what happens next after somebody dies in a criminal case like that what are the proceedings like what do you have to do and what is the result of an abatement pete all right what the proceedings are is you actually have to file a document uh, a notice basically in court notifying the judge that something has happened that requires a case to be terminated. For example, you file a death certificate notifying the court that someone's died. Now, here's the thing. Um, the process isn't hard. The harder part, frankly, is making sure you've got all the documents necessary to back up, to substantiate what you're telling the court. I can't just file a notice on any cases. Hey, my client died. I want to dismiss this case. You actually have to have proof. Okay. What do you have to have besides a death certificate? A death certificate. Okay, so that's not all the documents in order. You just have to file a death certificate. Right. Now, here's the, the more complex part is what happens after you're convicted and you die. Right, and we'll, and we'll get to that kind of in time as we go through the process of abatement, when it happens, when you die, what you can do, and what the results are. So, Dad, when an abatement is filed for, let's just say, let's use Jeffrey Epstein's case, for example. 
you're arrested and charged and you have an active case going on and you're either being held in prison or you're out ROR and you die before you've been tried and convicted. What happens to those criminal charges? Well, it goes way back to common law. Um, You've got no constitutional right to an appeal, for instance. However, this is before the appeal. This is before you're convicted. This is before a jury has heard your case and had a chance to rule on the merits of your case. Criminal law basically is to punish an offender, to send him to prison. If the offender is dead, then there is nobody to send to prison, so there is no purpose to continue on with the prosecution. Doesn't it have a lot to do with the presumption of innocence that everybody has? It does, but it also has something to do with um, the judicial economy. Why, do you, why would you try a case with someone who's dead who can't go to prison? Right, but I, I mean... There's we no say, constitutional rights here. What I'm saying is we, every individual, before they're tried, right? Just because yes. you're arrested, just because you're charged, doesn't mean you're guilty of anything. And we say in jury selection... If, if they were to ask you to come back with a verdict right now before hearing any evidence, your verdict has to be not guilty, right? Correct. So isn't that kind of along the same lines as abatement that nobody has produced any evidence to prove your guilt and you're dead, so you're never going to have that day in court, therefore you're presumed innocent basically when you die? Right, but hypothetically, if the state wanted to go on with the prosecution, they could pick a jury. Can they? With, yes, because we... No, they can't because the law of abatement applies. However... But, but also, isn't your, there like the confrontation clause? Right, but they could have the executor of the estate sitting there, which stands in the place of the, the person. I mean, but it there's wild theories, and you're right. There's wild theories. What I'm telling you is the, the real theory comes from the common law of England, where if a person dies, you don't waste money prosecuting him. Okay. Um, the purpose, really, of the abatement rule is to protect the deceased defendant for being branded a felon uh, without his conviction ever having become final. Uh, so if you die prior to a conviction being uh, obtained against defendant, then they can't go forward. They have to dismiss, for lack of a better word. Right. I mean, it makes sense to me for a million reasons, but we'll get into the pros and cons of it a little bit later. Okay, so you are a criminal defendant, active charges against you, you're in jail, you die. Your attorney files for abatement. The case is dismissed and there's never criminal charges that, that are actually that you're convicted for. How does that affect whether or not you have a crime on your record? How does it affect whether or not you have to pay restitution if there is any? How does it affect victims in the case? How does it affect all that in the criminal process if you die before your conviction? Well, you've actually got two areas there you're talking about. Okay. One is how it affects the defendant and the other is how it affects the victim. Okay, let's start with how it affects the defendant. It's like it never happened. Like he was never arrested. He has a totally clean record. Does um, the arrest go away? Well, I mean, you could probably file a motion to seal it and, and expunge it. Yes, because there's no conviction. Okay. But but if you, you can expunge it without the defendant's fingerprints and all the stuff that we usually have to get for an expungement? Well, we can get his fingerprints, even though he's dead. But I'm being serious. You can, I'm serious, act, you yeah. can expunge it as a dead you person. You could probably seal it, yeah, because he has, there's no conviction. I mean, I don't know. I haven't gone through the process, but you don't think you can? I don't think so. I don't think I could be wrong. I don't know. I've never tried to do it for a dead person before, but I would think just from knowing how we expunge cases, there's a lot of involvement from the actual criminal defendant himself. Yeah. At some point, if anybody who's deceased ever wants to retain us to, uh, to seal or expunge your record, I'm happy to. Then we'll figure it out. Yeah, I'm happy to research that for you. Okay. So, so once you, we're getting so off track here with sealing and expunction. So once 
so how it affects the criminal defendant himself is what you were talking about. Right. So it affects him. We don't know. Either, the arrest doesn't go away. You'd have to seal or expunge that if you can. Right. But the criminal charges, he's not a convicted either felon or if it's a misdemeanor, he doesn't get that conviction on right. his record. And, and that's significant to the victim because that's the next Okay. So how does it affect the victim? Well, victims sometimes sit around and, and want the state to prosecute the case so they'll get restitution. So they'll be made whole somehow or they'll have closure. With abatement, then there's no certainty of getting that kind of that closure. The same with the restitution. Uh, in big fraud cases, uh, people steal millions and millions of dollars, and they've got it in their bank accounts. And the victims want restitution. They want their money back. Well, someone dies, the case is abated, they don't get restitution. So what happens to that money? That money goes to the estate, and it may go to the heirs, the, the children, the person who actually stole the money. So some guy steals a bunch of money, and while he's being prosecuted, but before his trial, he dies. Uh, his lawyers file for abatement. All the money that he stole that's in his bank account that may even be frozen by the government is unfrozen and goes into his estate. Right, and that's one of the things that, you know, the, the, in the current climate, they may change. Right. So, and that, that's one of the problems with abatement that we'll probably get into, but how it sits right now, that's how it would work. All that potentially stolen money, because he hasn't been convicted yet, that stolen money would right now go back into the estate. Correct. Okay. So what happens then as a distinction, Pete, which you brought up earlier, that may be a little bit more complex. What happens if that same fraud case, he goes to trial, gets convicted, um, and you know loses his first appeal, his conviction's final, and he dies? Then what happens to that restitution? What happens to that money? If he dies, is the is the case abated and the restitution still goes to his estate? No, because there's a restitution order. And because there's a restitution order, the courts consider those final judgments to be final. And even though the defendant dies, you may not be able to go forward on any other you know, appellate issues. The court, though, is still going to allow... Um, the attachment of the those, victims yeah, to get the money. It necessarily, yeah, victims maybe or whoever is owed restitution, probation department, for example, whomever. But at that point, once the conviction's final, even if the defendant dies, he's still going to be on the hook for that amount of money that he owes, whether it's restitution or you know damages to a victim or something. Correct. Okay, so that's the distinction, kind of before and after you're convicted, which makes sense. If you haven't been convicted yet, should you be on the hook for all that stuff when you die? Number two is a civil case. What are the civil implications of an abatement dad if an, act, an active case is going on? It depends on the kind of case. If it's a case that deals with a person, such as a divorce. A divorce, obviously, if one of the parties of the divorce dies, then the case is dismissed and it's over. But if you're suing on a contract or you're suing on property, then even though they may die, then the estate of that person takes over in their position and can either pursue it or defend it. And a lot of contracts or releases that we've seen have heirs, estates, dependents, and stuff listed in there with the party that's signing it to, to encompass all that in case somebody dies. Um, any other distinctions made in civil cases? Uh, Go ahead. Also, I was going to say personal injury cases. Um, in some personal injury cases, in some jurisdictions, if the person dies, um, that abates the action. So not if a plaintiff dies. If a plaintiff dies, it abates the action unless you substitute in a party, which is the executor or the personal representative of their estate. You have to actually file motions to insert them into the plaintiff's shoes that died so they can then take over the case and continue prosecuting the case as a personal injury plaintiff. Right. And if the personal injury defendant dies, you can still then sue that person's estate right. and, and still collect from that person's estate. So it is a little bit different in civil cases when you're dealing with personal injury. 
it does not die with the person necessarily. You can you can do things to keep the case going. Same legally with speaking. Case. Same with criminal cases. Even though it may be abated criminally, it doesn't mean you can't sue them civilly to collect damages from the uh, criminal activity that they had or they did. So when you say same with the criminal case, you don't right. mean same in the criminal process. You no, mean if there's right. a civil case with the criminal case. Right. Even so though, even if the criminal case goes away with abatement, you can continue on civilly. Correct. Okay. So so when you have a personal injury case, uh, when you substitute in parties, it keeps going as if the plaintiff was alive, okay? Except for the fact that damages don't continue into their life and things like that, but nothing really changes. That person stands in the shoes of the plaintiff. The same thing as a defendant. The estate, the money that the estate has is what you're going after just as if you were going after the money that the defendant had. Correct. Okay, so now let's talk about some of the pros and cons with the current abatement system that we have. What problems do you see, Dad, with the, 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 the current system of abatement? What do you think would be better if it was changed, and what do you think works about it? Well, like everything else, uh, as time goes, things come around. Initially, when the abatement uh, policy was adopted, they were thinking about defendants. They were focusing on defendants and sending defendants to prison. In today's world, we are more focused on victims. Uh, we had a recent constitutional amendment establishing victims' rights. Well, now that we're thinking more about the victims, we're thinking about restitution and saying, is it right that someone should commit a crime, they should hurt somebody or steal money, and the fact that they died mean that their heirs could take the money and enjoy it rather than the people they hurt. So there's a movement now to switch that so that restitution can keep going and there can be a restitution order in the criminal case, even though someone dies. Pete, what do you think? I think that you're going to see a lot of change in what's something we call the long-arm statute, the ability of the court to reach into other jurisdictions to assert its authority. Uh, with Epstein specifically, if you guys know what kind of is going on, the money is in apparently offshore accounts. Mm -hmm. And there, I guess the issue... At least some of it. Some of it, yeah. The issues being, can does the federal court have jurisdiction to go after those assets, even if you get a verdict against the Epstein estate? And I think you're going to see a lot of change about can you go after uh, assets that are outside of the territory? Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with him dying. I mean, that even if he was still alive, he could try to protect offshore accounts that are could have illegal funds in them and stuff. I mean, no. to prove what's in those offshore accounts is a whole other battle, but... When dealing specifically with abatement and people dying during criminal uh, criminal uh, processes is really where the, the major shock comes. Because in civil cases, like we said, there's ways to try to get around it, still go after the estate, or still continue a case if a plaintiff dies. Criminally speaking, it seems like it all just kind of goes away. Post-conviction, it makes sense. You're still allowed to get the restitution. They've already been convicted. They're not presumed innocent anymore. I think the biggest issue comes with before somebody's been convicted... What do you do for the victims and for the restitution if somebody has a lot of evidence against them? And something that comes to my mind is when we're talking about bail or when we're talking about, um, you know, whether or not somebody's going to be released on ROR, how much bail there is, the state can kind of put forth how much evidence of guilt they have. They can put forth certain things without a trial to show that this person's more likely going to be guilty than not. It's not a trial and they're not. Um, they're not convicted of anything. It doesn't go on their record, but the court makes a determination that it's strong enough to where maybe they're not going to receive bail. Maybe they have to sit in jail awaiting trial. This what happened to Epstein recently. The first time he was out on house arrest or an ankle monitor, this time he was in jail pending his trial. So something like that could happen as to whether or not restitution should still be ordered 
if the prosecution feels like they have enough evidence. But at that point, then what would be the rights of the dead defendant's family and heirs? Could they hire a criminal defense attorney to put on a case and then we just basically go forward with the criminal case with only civil aspects? Or should we just leave that to the civil court? Well, there are there are some jurisdictions and there is some movement to allow someone to substitute in for the dead, dead defendant, i.e. his heirs or the executor, so that he can actually appeal the restitution order and it doesn't get dismissed in the appellate court, just someone gets substituted in. But that's so that post-conviction. That's post-conviction. Um, and just about all the um, pre-conviction arguments are that someone is substituted in, that the state still goes forward with this. Uh, and still is able to go ahead and and get the restitution order, and that the again the estate or the heirs uh, sit there in the place of the defendant and do the argument. You know, we try people in this court right now in abstentia, which sure. means that uh, they don't they, have to actually show up. Right, they don't show up, so there's an empty chair over there. But that's different. So my question then would be: Is this the government's burden and the government's problem? to make sure these victims get their money if the defendant dies. Well, Don't we have civil courts and civil lawyers for that reason? Can't somebody just get their own lawyer to go ahead and prosecute this case civilly and our government doesn't have to waste its time and resources on it because they're not going to be able to punish the bad behavior or put this person in jail? Well, you say it's different when I give it, but it really isn't. That person who's not sitting in that chair voluntarily put themselves somewhere else other than their but courtroom. But it's different because if they get convicted, that person who's not in that chair goes and sits in jail. If they ever find him. But, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah but, but, but but there's still the chance that that guy goes to jail. That's different because you, ha- you could have a criminal out on the run. That's different. This guy's dead. You're never doing anything to fix this guy's bad behavior. Right. But is there a difference between being dead and committing suicide? Because yes, if you commit I suicide, I you are voluntarily I absenting yourself from their court. Epstein, I mean, as bizarre as this sounds, two days before he kills himself, he puts this stuff in a trust in the Virgin Islands, and then he kills himself. So, I mean, was this part of his estate plan? I agree. I I think that that's another distinction and argument. Before we get to that, whether there should be a difference between suicide and either them getting murdered or an accidental death like a car accident, Pete, what do you think? Do you think the government should have a burden like that to continue forward waste time, I don't want to say waste, spend time and money prosecuting these people that are already dead just so that the victims can get their restitution? Wow. Um, the, the more concern that I have is not necessarily whether they should focus on a specific dead defendant on whether we should go forward in that case. The bigger thought process that I have is there are times when there's an appellate issue going on, and it's a big, important appellate issue, and the defendant dies And the state still has the right to elect to go forward because the issue itself is so consequential to the process as a whole that the individual defendant, whose case it happens to be, it may not matter to them anymore, but it matters in the generality of the way. But that's different. Okay, that's fine. If this person's already been convicted, I understand why the state may want to continue to go forward on it. But what I'm saying is, if this guy's never even been convicted, why does the state, meaning all of our tax dollars is going to pay for these victims to get their money when there is another avenue right, in our judicial process. system that they can take 
that is there for money. Like when we handle wrongful death cases, we tell people all the time, we can't bring the person back. Our system is set up to give you an amount of money for this person dying. There's never going to be enough money to take the place for this person, but money is the avenue in civil courts. Okay. There's injunctive relief too, but money is the avenue in, in civil courts. So that is where this person should go. Criminal courts, while restitution is a part of it, it's really law and order. I mean, that that's the point of the criminal courts. It's not, the number one point is not civilly for people to get money. That's what the civil court system is for. So that's kind of my biggest issue with, with changing the abatement process to allow the government to continue to prosecute dead people so that victims can get restitution. Nobody, nothing, you, you agree? Know. Is that an opinion you're asking for? Yeah, me? I mean, do you no, agree I, or disagree? I, no, I, I agree with you. I don't think the state should be paying for anything after that point. Right. I, once once the person, I mean, let's face it, that's the ultimate punishment. No matter what the punishment is, the person is dead. I mean, he's right. deceased. That's, that's the ultimate punishment. So why do we need to do more in the state system? It's the same system? reason, like, when in a car accident case, I have a client that can't afford a lawyer. The state doesn't pay for them to get a lawyer. We take it on contingency and file a civil lawsuit. The state's not paying for us because this person did nothing wrong, but you know, broke their back. Like the state doesn't pay for that. So I don't know why they would pay for this. It's not fair to the victim that this happened to them, but that's why we have civil courts and civil lawyers. Okay. So dad, now what, what was the point you were bringing? Oh, so the difference between suicide and either accidental death or murder or something like that, or where if you choose, or something like where that, you right. choose to kill yourself to, to start this abatement process, do you think there should be a difference in the abatement rule for that? Do I think there should be? No. Do I think there's an argument that's being made out there now by victims? Yes. Uh, victims are making the argument that when you voluntarily make a decision to do something like this, you're not sitting in that defendant's chair uh, because of an accident or because you had a heart attack. You're not sitting there because you chose not to sit there, just like someone who ran off to Columbia instead of sitting there being tried on a drug charge. So you should still be charged in absentia with the empty chair, and a jury still should be able to make a decision on the facts and order restitution if that's appropriate. What do you think, but, Pete? But who defends you? Your, your lawyer, just like I, I've tried or cases. Or a public defender. I've tried cases where my clients, uh, in the middle of trial, my clients didn't show up at the second day of trial. The judge made us go and, and totally finish the trial, and it was absurd because you had four chairs, and the, these, the clients didn't speak uh, English. So they had earphones. So they had four chairs with earphones hanging over the chairs, but four empty chairs. And we still defended the case. Okay, fine. And, and if they leave, but I guess so. So my question is then to Pete, to you, what do you think? Do you think there should be a difference between suicide versus some other kind of death? I think we agree in concept. Uh, that Yeah, I, I think that I can see the argument for it, but I'm with you, George. I don't think that it really makes sense at that point to go forward, whether it's a suicide or whether it's a, you know, somebody died of cancer. Right. Well, okay. So, and that's the distinction. In my opinion, I mean, I've never tried a case where the defendant's not there or the defendant's died in the middle of it, but I think there should be an absolute difference. And I wouldn't even care to go as far as to say that that person's giving up their rights at that point if they're killing themselves till we don't even have to waste the government's time and money on a trial. There can just be a restitution hearing to see what the victim gets to save everybody the time. If they if they killed themselves in the middle of this, and I'm not saying that means they did it because they could absolutely kill themselves out of fear 
of, you know, worst case scenario or a jury convicting them of something they didn't do. But once you decide to kill yourself, you're giving up your rights in a lot of different areas. And I I wouldn't have a problem if the abatement process did make a distinction between suicide versus cancer or car accident or the victim's dad comes and kills you one day at your house. I think there should be a distinction. So what you're saying is you don't really care if there's a penal side. The penal side can stop. It's now a matter of, all right, ladies and gentlemen, jury, you don't have to worry about whether or not he's liable. He's now liable. For how much? How much? Let's try to make this victim whole if we can, because this person decided to kill themselves and take them out of the process and forego their rights to a trial as a criminal defendant. I think he's been punished enough. Right. And I I understand you disagree with that, but that's just kind of my thought process and it makes the most sense and it does help the victim out a little bit, but also doesn't waste a lot of money um, uh, through the, the government wasting time prosecuting somebody that's dead that they can't punish. Okay, so that was abatement. It was kind of a niche subject, but it's relevant right now with the Jeffrey Epstein stuff going on. Hopefully you guys learned something. Hopefully you enjoyed it, and we'll be back with you next time.